Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Hey, thank you, Scott, and hello, everybody. Welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. We are the place for the conservative news and content, and we're standing up for the strongest and the freest America that we can possibly have. And we're always in your corner fighting for your constitutional rights. You can find us at Must Read Alaska on our website, mustreadalaska.com, and also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, the whole nine yards. We may not be the biggest organization covering the news in Alaska, but it's not for the lack of trying. I am Suzanne Downing, and you can find my column, Must Read America, at our news partner, Newsmax. And I write every couple of weeks there, so check that out over at Newsmax. Thanks for tuning in, and hello to John Quick, my co-host. Hey, what's going on in Nikiski? Hey, Suzanne, thanks so much for asking. John Quick here out in the great unincorporated area of Nikiski, Alaska. We want to give a big must read Alaska shout out to Lydia Jacoby, the hero of Alaska. Uh, for those of you who have been living under a rock like most of us have and not paid attention to the Olympics, this is something to pay attention to. 17 year old from Seward, Alaska wins not only a gold medal, but a silver medal. And that is a huge deal if you watch we posted a couple of stories on it on our Must Read Alaska Facebook. And if you watch, we have the actual footage of her winning it. Um, apparently that her, her uh, teammate from the US was po poised to win it and everybody thought she was gonna win it. And uh, Lydia Jacoby's face after she won uh, is just priceless. It's a 17 year old looking up at the scoreboard, realizing, holy crap, I just won a gold medal. And uh, seeing the stories and, and uh, seeing the footage from Seward High School of all of her friends and family rejoice from winning a gold medal is pretty awesome. And in stark contrast of that, you know, you have the, uh, you have the uh, soccer team in the, the U.S. Olympics where uh, people are outright uh, cheering for them to lose because they don't want to see them on the podium. And so... We want to celebrate somebody like Lydia Jacoby, who, who is from Alaska, from Seward, and uh, came home with a gold medal and a silver medal. It's pretty amazing. Right. And then you have your, uh, our women, the most decorated female team in the sport, absolutely clobbered by uh, the competition there with Canada. And they're going to have to compete for the bronze. And everybody said a big collective, who cares? And I understand also our women's beach volleyball team lost to Canada, and that was a little bit controversial. There was like a play that was reversed and that was reversed again, and it went in favor of Canada, and everybody's all upset about that. And then we have the, the first transgender uh, weightlifter and competing in the women's uh, division, and uh, she was not able to, uh, to lift. It was like 240 pounds or something over her head. That person, Laurel, um, Laurel Hubbard, she, she transitioned from male to female in 2012. She had competed at, as a male up until 2000. 
about 2001, so I think she last competed. And then she took off for a while and then she transitioned with hormones and surgery, became a female and now she competes as a female. And for some reason they decided to let her, her go ahead and compete, which is mind boggling to those of us who are women thinking, you know, how is that fair? I gotta go back, uh, John, and say, if they had allowed a, a man to compete in the swimming or a, a transgender to compete in swimming against Lydia, she probably wouldn't have made it at the Olympics. You know, because it's just not fair. It's got bigger shoulders, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the Olympics. My hope is that they keep women's sports, women's sports, and men's sports, men's sports. And uh, I think it's just fair that way. And uh, that way, folks like Lydia Jacoby can uh, pursue uh, a sport like swimming and work their butt off and uh, train here in Alaska and go on to national teams and what have you, and then make it to the Olympics. It's going to be a slippery slope if we do anything otherwise. Yeah, I'm afraid the train's already left that station. And until until we get this figured out about what genders are, are what, um, we've, we're going to see more and more transgenders take the place of women in sports. You never see it go the other way. You never see women competing against men and being able to advance in these competitions. It only goes the other way where men supplant women in these competitive arenas. And I, uh, I don't know, I think most of us think it's wrong, but the International Olympic Committee apparently thought it was right. Meanwhile, um, John here in, in Anchorage tonight, uh, there's gonna be a meeting of the Comprehensive Fiscal Working Group. And that's the group that is supposed to come up with a solution for the permanent fund dividend and the power cost equalization fund. And I'm, I don't give it much hope. I, I haven't been really watching it very closely because I don't like wasting my time. And um, when they finally get close to having something worth talking about, we'll talk about that. But so far they have just been twiddling their thumbs over there at the LIO. And quite honestly, we all have better things to do than to, to waste our time on that. Hey, by the way, today on the show, everybody, we have a special guest, and we have had this guest before. It's Russell Biggs, who was uh, part of the group that uh, was or tried to recall Felix Rivera, didn't quite make it, now is going after Meg Zalatel on the assembly, and is very close, I understand, to having uh, the signatures you need. Russell, welcome to the show. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? I'm great. So I understand that you were uh, splashing down Six Mile Creek in a kayak over the weekend. You want to just tell me a little bit about that? No, yeah, that's a, um, an annual festival that Tim Johnson and a group of the kayakers and pack rafters in the state put on. And it's a great time to come down and enjoy some fun white water. They have a pack raft um, race and a kayak race. And, but the big highlight is the pool toy race. And so I think this year there were probably... 30 people in everything from, uh, you know, pink flamingos and mm -hmm. unicorns and uh, there's somebody had an inflatable mattress and they, they basically swim down the, the first uh, three or four class four drops. So it's, it's a really fun time. It's, a, it's really funny to watch. There's some, some Facebook photos and, and videos up on, uh, on Facebook if you want to watch some of that. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know where Six Mile Creek is, it's over on the sort of the hook cutoff there. And uh, it, there's, oh, well, it's near the Hope cutoff, right? Uh, uh, yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, three miles before the cutoff, and then it goes yeah. down to about seven miles past, I think. Past. Somewhere in the range. Yeah, yeah. So and, it, and it's really fun, but it's also dangerous. Like, you know, people have died on that, uh, on that section. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, I think there's been several, you know, well, actually, I did CPR on a guy about three years ago. 
um, that was, uh, he was down in waders and he had a, 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 a like sit on top, kind of like a lake kayak and was, I don't think he knew what he was getting into, but uh, it was luckily he survived. There were, uh, there were, there was an RN and myself and a couple, and the guy that actually jumped in and saved his life because he had pinned himself on a right. strainer. There's some really dramatic footage that made it into National Geographic from that rescue uh, that was on, on national TV, which was actually pretty interesting to watch, but yeah, I'll check was, it out. yeah you should say it. It's, uh, it, it was, he was really, really lucky because there were a lot of medical professionals right there, but also that the guy uh, Obi that jumped in and 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 risked his own life to get him out of there was was a real hero that day. It was quite the experience. Well, for anybody who is uh, interested in some Alaska fun in the hot weather, which we have this week, the Six Mile Creek is is fun, but it does have, like you say, it has some strainers. They and they show up at various times. You don't always know. I don't know what it's like right now, but. I will say that uh, to be taken seriously, you've got a, a class four and a little bit of class five in that as well. And I've only done it once, but man, that is a fun, fun ride. <laughs> it sure is. It's a good time. All right. Well, let's get back to the uh, politics because that's what we're here for. We do politics on Must Read Alaska. We don't do whitewater ra uh, rafting or kayaking uh, for a living here. But I tell you, you are um, making huge progress in getting the names on the petitions to have uh, Assemblymember Meg Zalatel recalled. And let's let's remind our listeners from the beginning where we started on this. Well, this was uh, um, the, the kind of the companion recall language that was submitted um, about a year ago, actually, uh, that during the uh, meeting that Felix Rivera um, allowed more than the number of people that were supposed to be in the assembly chambers after they had kicked everybody out of the assembly chambers using that same logic uh everybody except the people they wanted um to be there and uh that initial recall with the against felix rivera they struck part of the language out but it went up in front of the voters and unfortunately we lost that but in the process they had denied the language against um Meg Zaltel completely. And so our group took that to the Superior Court and won. Uh, we won the, uh, 10 months later, we won the, um, right. the case and it was, it was then uh, released as a petition uh, so we could begin gathering signatures. And interestingly enough, so you know, it's been almost a year, um, you know, and things have calmed down because because people have gone back to their lives. They don't want to think about COVID anymore. They want to, you know, get back to living their life. Dave Bronson got elected. Uh, there's a lot of things that happened that were good things, but also that it kind of took the some of the fire out, um, which is unfortunate yeah. because I can tell you that the, the political machine um, that you know that enabled a lot of the the, the trouncing on the personal liberties over the last year is still going strong and they, they have not stopped. They've poison pinned a lot of the uh, language against uh, any kind of conservative thought, I think, um, against Dave Bronson. And you saw some of that probably over the last couple of assembly meetings, how Absolutely. that is playing out. And so we're, you know, we, we had an important show. We, we crossed uh, uh, a, a big number of signatures this last week, but as you know, we have to gather those from district four voters only, which makes it a little bit more difficult because you don't know for sure if people actually know that they're in district four. And so you take it 
take it on their uh, you take it on their word, and they may 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 not know. But uh, last time we had about a sixty percent validity rate, so people uh, either that knew or or thought that they were in uh, District Four is about sixty percent, and so we're looking to get around four thousand signatures getting close but we definitely need help for that but the, the so interesting wait, thing, wait, before you before you yeah okay go ahead you tell us the interesting things i don't want you to lose that thought <laughs> well, i don't know uh it's well the interesting thing is this the the superior court case prompted the muni when they lost that case uh, meg zaltel joined into that uh appeal to the supreme court so that case is actually going into the supreme court in about a week, um, oh. a week or less, or maybe more. I'm not 100 sure, uh, but it's it's coming up really soon. Are they going to so, hear it, or like within a week? You think? I think it's about a week. Yeah, okay. they, they definitely the oral arguments are coming up, um, and and so what's okay. what, what's been interesting about that is, uh, you know, I I kind of watch what's going on. Unfortunately, the worst thing about this whole recall process and me having never been involved in politics now now being involved in politics just because of the recalls is that i have to watch what's being said on twitter and um i gotta i gotta tell you suzanne i'm really taking care of myself and you know i try to be healthy and i eat right and i don't smoke and i exercise regularly but i'm pretty sure i'm gonna get cancer from twitter um, isn't it awful and toxic i'm telling you i i drop story i drop our stories there and i run for the exit because those people are so nasty it is the worst it is it's some the, of the it is some of the absolute worst uh it is you know observations of humanity but that being said every once in a while somebody will say something that that actually uh you know is important and, and you can you can get some information out of that so what came out of that this week was that ruth bostein had um in her, uh, I guess, her, in her opinion, she had uh, filed that she is not able. Uh, is she well, number one? Number one, she she says that she is the only person in the um, the Muni law uh, that that is able to respond to complex constitutional questions, and so she is asking for a um, an extension on the downtown Hope Center uh, injunction, which. As you know, that was about the transgender. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, basically, that initially that they had, uh, I think it was about two years ago that they had fought the Muni on being forced to allow transgender uh, men into the women's shelter, and then with the assembly recently passing the um, the I think they call it the good neighbor policy, but basically it was the it was the shelter regulation that passed. Um, it was the new ordinance where they are they're going to license shelters now and so you correct. have to follow now that they're going to license them they, you have to follow their rules which means their rules are going to say you have to let men sleep next to women correct and so that so they did that so they passed that and so the downtown hope center now has filed another injunction against uh the municipality which that's right. what, what ruth uh the attorney was referencing so and this is what happens when a municipality like anchorage uh mm -hmm. just steps over everybody's civil rights and and you know they they painted they, they have so many things going on uh at a at a um leg, uh, not a, 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 a judicial level that now that you know, apparently there's only one person that can handle that you know obviously that's probably not true but i, I did get a chuckle because that's that's what happens when people start fighting back and, and that's what 
that's the reason we fought back. And I'm glad that the Downtown Hope Center is fighting back. And I'm telling you right now, this is a big scoop. If we win the Supreme Court case, I'm donating all of those uh, legal fees to the Downtown Hope Center. Anything we get back from the Muni is going straight to that case and to that organization because I really feel strongly that they're getting, um, uh, you know, they're getting, uh, you know, bulldozed by the same people that wanted to bulldoze the people out of the, uh, the you know, the, the the citizens out of the assembly chambers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same kind of kind of process, you know. It's it's uh, death by a thousand cuts, and and uh, you know, people don't have to put up with that. Yeah, and and uh, by the way, we'll put in the show notes today when we post this uh, a link to the downtown downtown Hope Center website where people can donate. I know the Americans for Alliance or Defending Liberty ADL, I think is is their doing their legal work for them, but it is um, you know it is costly. It, it it's money that they could spend taking care of poor and um, battered women, and instead they're having to just fight for their right to do so. Right. And this is, it, and this is uh, elections have consequences. This is Meg Zalatel. This is the stuff that she supports, which is, you know, men sleeping next to women on the floor down at the at the Hope Center, causing all kinds of uh, trauma for those women who many of them have come off the street after having been abused by men. Right. And, really don't want yeah. to have to sleep next to anybody like that. Well, you know, that, that organization is almost entirely volunteer ran. I mean, it, it, they, they accept yeah. private donations. They don't take money from the municipality. Um, I mean, it's a perfect example of like where how a, uh, you know, a private um, faith-based enterprise does an amazing amount of good work. I mean, they have the, the pastry program where the women learn how to uh, cook they feed hundreds of people every day, you know, for men about and a fifth. Women. Yeah, men and women. And they do it for about a fifth of what the municipality uh, pays out uh, to have it done. And so for, you know, and 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 also, uh, you know, the, not just the Downtown Hope Center, but the, um, the Gospel Rescue Mission has said the same thing, that that, that legislation uh, that they passed, um, and they passed it because they were they were trying to have some sort of carrot to um, to um, to coax the other legislation through uh, so they could buy the Alaska Club and everything else. I mean, they, all of that was was basically to buffalo the the public that somehow the muni is going to enforce the rules, which they, they you know, and the interesting thing about that was. You know, they, they said that they would enforce these rules and, and you know, it's going to limit the amount of disruption uh, where these shelters are placed. But we finally got our, our um, last set of uh, public records from the municipality. And, what, and, and in, that, in that set of public records, there's an interchange between, um, I can't remember which attorney for the Muni was saying it, but uh, there was interchange between the municipal code enforcers and the, um, uh, and the, uh, the, the Muni attorney saying basically that anything disruption wise that happens to the surrounding neighborhoods that nobody is going to be able to do anything about it. APD was saying, well, the municipality should have the enforcers do it. The enforcers responded and said, no, that's really not our role. So basically that entire piece of legislation from, from that internal email, uh, if you believe what they were saying back and forth is, I mean, it's, it's useless. It put, it put, uh, the one carrot, which was that the municipality would prevent anything happening like it did on Carluck Street and having Third Avenue just destroyed by, by, by the surroundings around Beans Cafe and so forth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it really, I mean, 
nothing good's going to come out of that except you're going to put um, you're going to put shelters that are that were already functioning and doing doing things cheaply and and uh, and vo by volunteers are now going to be regulated in a way that they're going to actually lose beds which you know again and that, that all that goes back to the reason one of the many reasons Megzaltel uh, and, and needs to be recalled I mean and again it's a tough it's an uphill battle I mean sure it is. I don't have any uh, any uh you don't have any illusions after you've been through this. I mean, Felix Rivera was the worst of the worst. He was the chair of the assembly when they, mm -hmm. um, when they basically said, yeah, it doesn't matter that there's an executive order saying that we have to keep our, our room to 15 or under. We're the assembly. We'll put in as many as we want, as long as they're the people we want to put in. And the rest of you, right. you can stay outside with your signs and placards and your, and your protest chants and, and do what you will, but you aren't coming in because you don't agree with us. And all the mean uh, at this at this time last year, exactly at this time is when they were getting ready to push through all of this legislation to buy the the hotel on 36th and Seward, to buy the hotel down in, in Spinard, the, the America's best, to buy the uh, Alaska Club out on Tudor and the building for Beans Cafe. And they were going to create this huge industrial homeless complex where um, they would spread it throughout the city. And they would, um, you know, they did all of this planning to use CARES Act money, uh, some of it illegally, as it turned out, because of some of the good work you did in discovering what they were up to and the, the public records request you put in. And so all of this has been going on for a year. And as egregious as Felix Rivera was, we still weren't able to, to recall him. I was shocked, I must say, when I saw the ballot language and he was able to use his section of the ballot language just like a campaign brochure. Right, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, and I get the question often, uh, people are like, well, what, why do you think this is gonna be any different? And the answer to yeah. that is, is that number one is that we need to see this through um, otherwise they'll do it every time. I mean, it, it, what's the point of having a recall process if the municipality will deny it outright and the private citizen has to sue um, every, every time, regardless of what, you know, again, we won the Superior Court case. And so if that's the only way that a private citizen can use the, um, the rights guaranteed in our code, then it's not, it's not actually a right, you know? And, and for every person that doesn't speak up um, when this kind of stuff happens, I mean, that's just another step uh, to pushing us all into a corner. I mean, you saw it this last week. I, I, it just amazes me that, uh, that Chris Constant can tell a room full of people, a room full of American citizens, a lot of them veterans that fought in foreign wars and you know, put their lives in danger and were out uh, getting shot at. He can tell a room full of US citizens, you're not allowed to clap. That, mm -hmm. that just blows my mind. I mean, what kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. Did you see the, uh, Ooh, the, uh, the municipal uh, clapping compliance officer uh, th thing, that the satire <laughs> thing that got put up? I don't know if you the, saw it. The that. little satire that was going around. I did. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about that was just to give people that are listening. So somebody wrote a, a resolution as a joke. Mm -hmm. that, that the municipality was going to create a, a clapping compliance officer because Christopher Constant had thrown such a, a fit about it. And um, and then the funny thing was, is about half of the people weren't sure that it was satire. I mean, it was it was one of those things where you would not you wouldn't be surprised. Right. I mean, you would go, 
maybe they are doing that. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either. It was like this. It was like the Babylon Bee. It was so. It was so straight faced that it's like, well, that that's really that's good, but really. You weren't, you weren't hundred percent. You guys say, nah, they're not doing that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you've been following politics a long time and I guess I would like your opinion on that. I mean, I, I feel like that, like everything this assembly has done, I mean, it's been a piece, it's, it's been one link of a chain at a time, you know, and before you know it, you've got a whole, and a whole set of chains, right? I mean, it's, it's one link one little thing that they do, you know, they, they kick you out of the chambers and then the mayoral uh, election denying that to happen. I mean, I, I kind of feel like that people, they really have, people have to get involved and they have to speak up because it's, they're not, the, the, the political opposition is not going to stop and they, and they clearly have not stopped. No, they're not going to stop. They're very activated, but our side has been activated. One of the problems we see is that the Democratic Party is very, very engaged and they're openly engaged in these local races. They put money into it. The Democratic Party is backing the certain candidates. They're endorsing them. They're giving them office space and shared services in the party. And so they are, in fact, running those candidates as partisan, as nonpartisan, but it's not nonpartisan. They're running them as, as uh, Democratic candidates, whereas the Republican Party is sitting back and saying, no, we don't get involved in local races. We only get involved in partisan races. So they have seeded the field. And I am one person who just doesn't think you, you just don't seed the field. You, you may you know, fight the death. You just never seed. And uh, it's an unfortunate that the Republican Party is as weak as it is, that it, it won't engage in these local races. It doesn't want having to do with them. And that's why we have all over the state we see the local, um, the local governments being run essentially by the Democratic Party. And then they're growing a farm team. That's their team for who they bring up into you know, the legislature. We see that the same thing over at the school board, completely taken over by a certain group of people who you know, share a certain type of values, such as mass the kids, keep them home, um, and pay the, the union teachers double for not showing up. Um, that, so yeah, we, we're um, but we've but we're getting engaged, and I think you raised the point earlier where we're seeing people kind of going about. They want to go and dip net, and they want to go out and raft, and they want to go camp, and they just want to have some fun this summer because it was such a miserable winter for people. They were so cooped up, and there's something about Republicans and conservatives. They're very family oriented, and they are they are individualists. That's not to say they're selfish, but they really are individualists. And they um, they get engaged with politics reluctantly, as they have other priorities. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a nasty business. <laughs> I mean, that's well, the, you, yeah, you've <laughs> seen it. It's... Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, you know, and it, it's I, it, it's easy to um, yeah, it's easy to want it. I mean, it's the it's the whole Stockholm syndrome thing. Yeah. You know, you don't you you somehow think that that it's it what happened to you wasn't so bad and things that are you know they've they've turned around and now it's going to be uh it's going right. to be better this time or, or i don't know if you've ever seen the um the uh the old uh i think they were the, it was called the ash conformity um experiments are you familiar with that that was where they took um, basically four or five people that were in on the joke and then they had one person it wasn't a joke it was four or five people that ran on the experiment and then one person that was not and they would show them um, different links of line 
like on a piece of paper, or like, here's the, here's the length of line. And they would say, okay, which one of these lines is the longest? And everybody uh, that was in on it, I mean, slowly would start to uh, agree that a clearly incorrect answer was the right answer. And the people in the, that were not in on it, uh, the, exper the ex experimentees um, would follow, they would follow in line. It was a, a, like about 40% of the time, 30 to 40% of the time, people that clearly knew that what they were, what they were agreeing to was wrong. They would, they would follow into it. And, you know, it's a, a kind of an instinct of uh, probably a social instinct that humans have. That we they had that. They, we have the yeah. exact same thing in this uh, column that we ran this week from one of our senior contributors, Alexander Delitsky, and it's called Remembering the so Soviet Psychological Documentary Film, I and Others, that I took part in. So he's basically, he's, he was born in Russia, raised in Russia. After college, he came to the U.S. He's a professor emeritus at UA, UA University of Alaska Southeast. Very, very um, brilliant man. And he, when he was a teenager 18 he took part in this film it was a psychological sort of a documentary and they had a group of people uh, a psychologist with a group of people and all of the people in the group said that it, that both of these pyramids in front of them were white um, when there was clearly from you could see on the film one was black and they all agreed that it was white and then when they got to him he was in this film he was part of the experiment he agreed that it was white and all of this, this column, which you should read because it's all about his experience of being uh -huh. pressured into the wrong answer. And it's exactly sure. what you're talking about. And yeah, and, well, and we, a, we, we have, if there's a tie-in to back what we're talking about here in town, you think it's normal, but it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the 10% rule where all you need is 10% conformity. And people will think if you say it loud enough and you say it enough, that the 10% represent the majority of opinion. And that's just not the case. I mean, I, I feel like um, there's there's definitely a loud 10% of people. Uh, and the, again, the political opposition tries to make it sound like that that's what represents, you know, that thought represents the rest of the people in the state. And it's just not true, you know? And, and the fact that Dave Bronson is mayor right now is a great example of that, that, uh, that idea uh, that is, is incorrect because Mayor, Mayor Bronson got elected, you know, he and, wasn't, and, and he wasn't supposed to be the one who could do it. No, he, not at all. You know, and, you know, and, he's the, he's and, the, the dour Norwegian who, who smiles <laughs> reluctantly and, you know, just kind of a, an average guy, just a pilot guy and likes to go hunting. And yeah, here he is the mayor of the 38% of, of the state of Alaska population. He's the mayor of because because people finally woke up. If people want, need to, would like to help you in this, how can they get involved in helping you with this recall? Well, they can they can go sign, and that's the important thing. Um, if they and can, where's if it they, at? If they're, if they're not in District 4, they can bring somebody that is in District 4, and we have uh, three very easy places to come, come to. Um, the Midtown Cars uh, from about 11 to 7, uh, the okay. New Sagaya, also uh, generally from 11 to seven. And then we have volunteers at the Abbott cars um, occasionally, it's not always uh, a, a guaranteed, but um, the 100% the guaranteed place to go is Dwayne's Antique Market, um, which you can find on their Google. hours. Uh, nine to six, and nine they're six. there and, all the time. Yeah. And, and, they're, they're, and, and Midtown cars, that's in the old, what we used to call the Sears Mall. Correct, yeah. 
and then the yeah. new Sagaya is just down from that a little ways on Old Seward, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, there'll be people out in front, and they'll ask you if you're District 4 voter, and you can sign it up. What's and, your deadline? Uh, August 15th August is 15th. Uh, when we're hoping yeah. to turn in over 4,000 signatures. We're, we're hoping to get over, you know, the more over 4,000, the better, but um, 4,000 probably is a, probably going to be about the right number considering the validity rate that we need. And, and traditionally it got with the Rivera. Um, we gathered about 5,000 during uh, the time of COVID and the winter. So it's a, it's a different set of, <laughs> it's interesting as uh, the summer makes it in some ways hard too, because it now, even though you don't have the COVID restrictions, people, you know, they're out of town or they're, they want to go do something else. Um, they know summer's slipping away from us. So well, yeah, our time right. is our time is slipping away from us too. So thank you so much for being on our show today. Hey, everybody, before we go, for the rest of the week, make sure to sign up for the newsletter. You just go to mustreadalaska.com and plug in your email address. And if you'd like to sponsor this podcast and reach hundreds of Alaskans every week, just give John quick a holler. John, are you still on the line with us? I am here. Hey, what is the address that they can use to um, to get in touch with you for? Uh, they can uh, email me at john, J-O-H-N, at mustreadalaska.com. Very good. And Scott Levesque, we want to thank you for all you do as the producer of this show. You make it all come together. Great team here at Must Read Alaska. And it was a joy to have Russell Biggs on our show today. So if you're a supporter, thank you so much. And if you'd like to support the conservative side of the news, there is a donate button. And we really do appreciate it over at mustreadalaska.com. Just hit that button and donate what you can. We will see you next week here somewhere.